One of the big reasons for making this podcast is to give you a better idea of all the different people you can see to improve your health. And some health people feel more scary to visit than others. Uh, The bum doctor from episode one is a good example, but we sorted that out. If you've got any issues in that area, just go back and have a listen and it'll be a breeze. On this episode, you'll meet someone who people are scared of even when they don't have an appointment. So that's something that we need to sort out. Here's what happens when Dr. Marzana Ryback meets people in a social situation. Usually my standard response is I'm a doctor and then people kind of come closer because, you know, doctors are usually good people and trustworthy and all that. And the moment they ask me what kind of the doctor um, and I said, I'm a psychiatrist, you can see that movement about three steps backward because they, for some people, there is this misconception that I can read people's, you know, minds. And it <laughs> she's going to know everything about me. Right. And it could not be any further from the truth. Okay, so psychiatrists aren't mind readers. Well, there's a myth busted. But there are plenty more to go. And if they aren't mind readers, well then, what are they? I always say that I'm in control of the command centre or, you know, um, it's, it's, it's like, a, like a command room because the, the brain is really the command centre for the, the, the incredibly complex kind of machine of our bodies. If the command centre is not working properly, the rest of the body, the the machine is just not working. And, you know, to give you a good example, let's say depressed people, when they come to me and the command center is not not in charge, it's not working well, the rest of the body is not working well. People think that mental illness only involves brain. It, It doesn't. It involves the rest of the body. So, for instance, depressed patient wouldn't sleep, wouldn't eat, wouldn't be able to think clearly, wouldn't have energy to do things, would feel profound tiredness. It even goes further. People sometimes have constipations because their bowels don't work as they should. Their core body temperature drops, so people experience cold a bit more than, than, than the person who is not depressed. So really, although it starts in the brain, it in the end, it affects the function of the rest of the body. So I'm in charge of the command centre. <laughs> Being in charge... What what happens then when I when I come and see you? Because no doubt there is a, a stigma around people coming to see a psychiatrist. I mean, it's been displayed in Hollywood thousands of times, all these preconceptions. What actually happens when a patient comes to see you for the first time? That, that, that's actually a very good question because there is a lot of preconceived and mostly Hollywood, uh, you know, um, uh, kind of ideas about psychiatry. And uh, I have to say that, that the movie Flight Over the Cuckoo Nest didn't do much favours uh, to, to psychiatry or psychiatrists in general. And uh, I always say to my patients, don't be scared because I'm as doctor as any other doctor. So to see me, uh, patients has to have referral from general practitioner. And when they come, I have to diagnose them and then discuss the options for treatment. And these days, we have treatment for just about every psychiatric disorder. So it's not... So psychiatry is a very positive kind of area, if you want. We, we really can treat psychiatric illness. And I know that people who come to see me, they don't know exactly what to expect. And I can see the kind of apprehension and a bit of anxiety when they're waiting in the waiting room, because I suppose they expect, you know, some brown couch and, you know, and, and some old um, weird men with the beard who will say nothing during the, you know, <laughs> during the interview. It couldn't be any further from the truth. As you can see, my office, it's as, as normal 
normal offices, any other doctor's office. So people come and usually my first appointment with any patient who is not well known to me takes about an hour or hour and a half. And I have to ask a lot of questions. And uh, on basis of those questions, I'm able to form opinion about the diagnosis. Most people in psychiatric practice can just be treated on an outpatient basis. And a lot of people don't know that. And people are a bit scared that if they have psychiatric illness or if they see a psychiatrist, they would be locked up in some kind of institution and and that would be that. And that couldn't be any further from the truth because um, a lot of people just come here. It's like, a, like any other medical practice. People wait in the waiting room. They have scheduled appointments. They come and see me on their own or with their families. We have discussions, I treat them, I give them medication, we have a bit of psychotherapy, uh, whatever needs to be done, and off they go to their lives. And we schedule another appointment in a week or in a month or in six months, whenever it's needed. Uh, regarding to stigma, another thing is, is very important, that most psychiatric disorders are of very biological origin, are genetically predisposed. And I always say to people, if you were diagnosed with, let's say, uh, type 1 diabetes or asthma, you would never, ever blame yourself for that because it's just the illness. Yes, it is an nuisance. Yes, it means that you need to see a doctor on you know long-term basis and you need to take some form of medication, but nobody would accuse you of being weak or pathetic. While people still have this misconception that if you're mentally ill, you you must be not adequate in some ways and it could not be further away from the truth. So I really stress it to all, stress it to all the patients. And I said the treatments for psychiatric disorders are the same as for, you know, as biological as they are for diabetes or asthma. And I often say that brain fails in, in psychiatric disorders and brain is just a different organ to pancreas or your lungs. It happens in all countries, in all socioeconomic groups in all cultures, nobody's immune to, to psychiatric illness. I've got a few questions that have come up in just yeah. hearing you speak and I think probably the first one is a psychiatrist and what your job is and how it differs from a psychologist, social worker, counsellor, all of these other people that deal with people that have got problems with their mental health. That's right. That, that's actually a very common question I've been asked by the patients. So I always say that psychiatrists are doctors. So for me to become a psychiatrist, I had to finish medical school. I needed to do my internship. I need to do my, my uh, residency. And then, as all other doctors, we required to choose the specialty that we would like to do in the future. So somebody decides to be a surgeon or, or you know, pediatrician, I decided to be a psychiatrist. So that's another five to seven years of training and some very stringent examination process. And then you get the title of consultant psychiatrist. So psychiatrists are experts on mental illness or mental disease, mental disorders. We train to diagnose and treat it um, appropriately. Psychologists are um, finishing usually arts degree and psychologists are not doctors and they um, are experts on human behavior. And I work very closely with some psychologists. And in simple terms, my patients sometimes say, oh, so you're the one that can give us drugs and the psychologist can't. And I say, yeah, that's, that's the short <laughs> version of the long explanation. If we talk about the treatments, because no doubt there's some misconceptions about the treatments as well, and we don't have enough time to go into all the details. Um, you talked about psychotherapy. How do you explain that really simply? 
it's basically the talking therapy. And, you know, we don't do the, these days, hardly any psychiatrist uh, does the psychotherapy in Freudian terms. You know, when, when Freud first developed psychotherapy, even he said about 100 years ago, he said in 100 years, rather than talking uh, therapy, there would be a pill that I would give to my patients and I would skip all the all the talking therapy. And he was right. He meant and the depressant tablets. So so we have uh, so we don't do this, the Freudian psychotherapy anymore. We do types of psychotherapy which are individually kind of catered for, for, for needs of patients, mostly cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, supportive therapy. Uh, we do a lot of psychoeducation. So I explain the ins and outs of the illness itself to the patient. And I quite often invite the family members uh, because, they, uh, you know, to explain to them as well what that illness involves, what the uh, implications of that are, what long-term prognosis uh, would be involved, what treatment would be involved. Uh, so psychoeducation is a very, very important part of psychotherapy of what I do. You mentioned, and I can't remember the letters or the words, but magnetic therapy. That, that's right. The magnetic stimulation is, is um, the acronym is TMS, which stands for transcranial magnetic stimulation. It's the newest and non-invasive, very effective treatment for depression. It's not experimental anymore. For the last 10 years, it has been accepted as a standard treatment for depressive illness. How does it work? What are, what's the magnetic bit? <laughs> uh, the magnetic, uh, so so it is a, a softer and less scary and less invasive form of electric uh, convulsive therapy, the old ECT, which a lot of people are scared and fairly. Again, we've seen it in the Hollywood movies, haven't we? That's exactly right. But ECT is, is another topic and we could talk about that at length. Um, uh, that's the most effective treatment for depression we have at the moment in the world. TMS, it's kind of milder, uh, probably not as, as strong version, not as effective version of ECT. The, the magnetic field lets us create little electric current, which in turn um, stimulates the, the area of the brain, which we believe is responsible for uh, depression. We know that in depressed people, certain areas of the brain are underactive. So both of those treatments are very, very effective. And TMS has the advantage that we don't uh, have to put people off to sleep. So they sit on the what looks like a chair, dentist chair, really, and they see what's happening. And uh, it's not painful, not invasive, and it's very safe. And we don't induce the seizure which electric convulsive therapy does induce what do you love about your job the the thing that really makes me uh, uh, want to come to work is to see people who are very sick whose life is almost on hold it's not only their life but their family's life is put on hold because of the illness and I can fix that illness you know my famous joke and I'm exaggerating a bit I always say I never met the patient I couldn't fix yet and yes, it is kind of uh, simplifying it and exaggerating it, but but pretty much uh, that's that's where medicine and where psychiatry is at this stage, and we can help people. We really can.
That's psychiatrist Marzana Ryback, who let me ask the questions during that visit to her rooms. And I had lots of them, more than we could fit into this podcast. If you've got more questions, ask your GP or have a look online. I'll put some links in the show notes of some places to start. But with any of this stuff, you can be sure to get good information from that profession's national association. And many of these associations have a search function to help you find an accredited practitioner near you. But you know what? So does your local GP. This project was funded by the Healthy Tasmania Community Innovation Grants through the Tasmanian Government. 